Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Contact us at anchor or Michigan and Other Mayhem at gmail.com or on Facebook to join the conversation, listen to the podcast, or correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Bye-bye now. Hey, Jen. LA. What you doing? Nothing much. Making a blankie. I'm on, like, coffee number 17,000. Really? I, You'll just have to I, grab a ladder later <laughs> Later, and pull me off the ceiling because that's where you can find me. <laughs> I, I have been reducing my coffee intake. Oh, wow. Maybe I should. Let me just say that. I think... And so I was a nonstop coffee drinker. Uh-huh. I mean, that's all I drank. Uh-huh. Some water, water here and there. And I've gotten down to two cups a day. What? You lie. No, nope, two cups. And I have the two cups in the morning. And, yep. Sometimes. How did you manage that? I don't know how I've managed. Okay. But probably, Why? And probably I've managed well because it's just me and the dog. Okay. And, you know, if I had others in my home, it, yeah, it would probably be bad. Okay. Okay. Um, but sometimes when I'm at home, I have a Keurig. So sometimes I'll make a cup of coffee. I'll make three cups because at some point I've dumped the other one out because it got cold because I uh, left it somewhere. Yeah, you find yeah, right. You had to find it later behind the couch. <laughs> Oh, I found it, it the other day. I found a coffee cup in the basement, a coffee cup in one of the other rooms, and then I threw those coffee cups out because that was bad. Oh man, I bet, <laughs> but it was not good at all. What do you got? I have today two stories to tell you about murder that involve soap. One is actual wash your body soap, and the other is soap operas, which we have talked about. Is why they're called soap operas. Okay, and I I have Danny Rines. I think it's Rines. It's R E I N E S. Rains, and Brett, maybe? Rains. I don't and, know. Yeah. And I'm Brent, scared ever since we got told off by that one guy for mispronouncing a name. <laughs> right. Well, these scared now. <laughs> well, yeah, and Brett Coster. Uh huh. And I can get their names wrong because they're the murderers. Yeah, that's fine. If they're the murderer, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> and and so they murdered four people, and I'll try to get their names right. Wow. So, you know what? Is yours Michigan? E... Yes. Okay. Mine is another another country. Let me go first. <laughs> look, at my, look, I had to think about it. The pe- yeah. Not all the people are from Michigan. Oh, but okay. it happens in Michigan. <laughs> okay, might happen in another country, both of them. All right, go for it. All right, ready, daddy? Here we go. Oh, I got this from uh, Murderpedia and Wikipedia. I basically, like, camped out on Murderpedia at one point. So, this is the story of the soap maker of Corrego. So, in Italy, on November 14th, 1893, Leonardo... Good Lord. I'm going to annihilate her name, but like we said, she's a murderer, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's like C.N. Cooley or something. Was born, and due, due to this being over 100 years ago, 
there isn't a lot of information on her life, but it's been noted that Leonardo had tried to commit suicide twice before she had reached adulthood. And there's some suggestion that she had maybe some mental health issues, but nothing really severe. And she married Raphael Pansardi in 1914 at age 21. And her parents didn't want her to marry Raphael as they had like another guy in mind. And Leonardo believes that it was during this time that her parents cursed her and her husband. So they put a, they got a curse put on them because they got married and her parents didn't want it. So they okay. do still marry. They have children. And they move to Lariano. But their home is destroyed in 1930 during an earthquake. So then they move to Corrego. <laughs> I cannot help but just say it like it is a pasta sauce. <laughs> And this is where <laughs> and this is where Leonardo opens a shop. And the couple's very popular and they had a good reputation in town and they're considered to be good parents. And a fortune teller tells Leonardo that she would marry and have children, but that all of her children would die. And while she and while she was married, she had been pregnant on 17 different occasions. Oh, my gosh. And which I wrote, this is a good case for birth control. All right. right. <laughs> and 14 times she brought the pregnancy to full term. And out of those 14 children, 10 died while still young. And this made her really protective over her four living children. So in 1939, when Leonardo was 36, her oldest son, Giuseppe, was to join the Italian army. And the world had already survived World War One, and the troops were now gathering for World War Two. And Giuseppe was her favorite child, and Leonardo was willing to do anything she could to protect him. And Leonardo was known for a, being like a bit of a fortune teller herself, and she would receive people looking for guidance. So Faustina Setti had come to Leonardo looking for a way to find a husband. Now, Faustina, who was 73 years old, had never married. And Leonardo told Faustina that there was a man in Pola and that he was going to be her husband. And Faustina needed to travel to Pola without telling her friends that she was going, but to write these letters out and to send them once she arrived at her destination. So like in order for this to work, you have to write your letters, take the train, go to Pola. The moment you get to Pola, put the letters box and you know how you find your man. So the day Faustina was leaving for Pola, Leonardo, Leonardo had her stop by first at her home. And Leonardo gave Faustina a glass of wine that she had drugged. And then she attacked Faustina with an axe. And once Faustina was dead, Leonardo drugged her body into a, the closet, a closet, later cutting her body into nine pieces. Leonardo then took those nine pieces and threw them in a pot, pot with caustic soap, dissolving the body into a dark mush. Then she took the mush out of the house in buckets and poured them into the sewer system. So basically just boiled this woman's body parts down to a slush and then dumped them out. That's disgusting. Yeah, and I don't want to talk shit on Leonardo's husband, Leonardo's husband, but okay, was he was he gone from the house? <laughs> did he or how did he not if he wasn't if he was home, how did he not notice the body parts or the blood. And, you know, Italian houses from the early 1900s weren't exactly fucking huge. You know what I mean? Was, well, he, was he blind in one eye? How does he not see this? Like, he must have not been in the house. I'm going to have to guess. 
Or, or he just didn't want to, you know, just didn't want to admit to what he saw. He doesn't want that to happen to him. True, true. Or one of those just in absolute denial doesn't. Yeah, like if I don't act like it's, if I act like it's not happening, it's not happening. Right. Yeah. So Leonardo took the blood that she had drained from Faustina and did the following. I will quote her. I waited until it had coagulated. She's talking about Faustina's blood. Tried it in the oven ground it and mixed it with flour, sugar, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, kneading all the ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. So Giuseppe was home. Okay, so why'd she do this? Because Leonardo felt that she was counteracting the curse set upon her and her children by eating Faustina's blood and cakes. So Francesca, so have I who does not have her age documented, also came to Leonardo for guidance. And Leonardo told her that she was able to find a job in Piacenza, which is at this girl's school. Now, again, Leonardo explains to Francesca not to tell her family where she's going, but to send them letters when she arrives, letting them know where, where she lands. Following the same pattern, Leonardo had Francesca stop at her house before embarking on her adventure. On September 15th, 1940, Francesca was given a cup of drugged wine and then killed with an axe. Leonardo repeats the disposal process that she used for killing Faustina. Cakes were made to eat and given out again. And from what I read, I think this is when she starts to, um, she starts to use Francesca's body to make soap and that it was made and given out to friends and family. Now, Virginia Caxipoyo or something, who was 53, so sorry, Virginia. She was a former famous opera singer, soprano singer. So using the same process she had used twice before, Leonardo claimed to found a job for Virginia. She told Virginia about the good job in another city. Don't tell anyone before you leave. Visit me before you go. And on September 30th, 1940, Virginia walks into Leonardo's house for the last time. And here's what Leonardo had to say, quote, she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white, which I had melted and added to a bottle of cologne. And after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some of the most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She was, like, basically, like, the rich lady tasted really good and made a great perfume. Like, oh, my God. So Virginia's sister, though, knew about her visiting Leonardo. And when Virginia failed to contact her family again, her sister went to the police. And the police brought Leonardo in, and she immediately confesses to the murders of the three women. So the trial began in 1946, and Leonardo had how much remorse? Zero. Zero remorse. She was found guilty and was sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in an insane asylum. And Leonardo died in an asylum October 17th, 1970, after 24 years of being institutionalized. And artifacts from her case, including the pot that she used to boil her victim's body parts, are on display in the Criminological Museum in Rome. And Leonardo, Leonardo has gone down in history as the soap maker of Corrego. <laughs> oh. Yeah, she made peoples into soap. So here's, I know, I'm like, now I'm going to tell you about a soap opera death, not actual people being made into soap. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. Okay. So Daniela Perez was born on August 11th, 1970 in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And Daniela was the oldest of her parents, three children, with two brothers being born after her. And her mom, Gloria Perez, is a well-known and well-regarded telenovela writer. And tovela, telenovelas are Latin America soap operas. So it's just a soap opera. Daniela was interested in the arts early in life. She started dancing at age five. And she parlays her skill from dancing into acting in different TV roles. And she found success on the screen by 1989 at age 17. And in 1990 at age 20. Wait, you don't go from 1989 to 1990. Okay, Allie. And I did this last time. Okay, so she found success in 1989 and she was 19. I did this last time and I thought I corrected me, but no. So I will correct me this time. In 1990, at age 20, she married a fellow actor, Raul Gazzola. And by 1992, she had won over the hearts of her fellow Brazilians and is the main actor for this telenovela that her mom writes for. Now, one of her co-workers, someone that she often shared screen time with, was Guillermo de Pauda. And he had recently been receiving less screen time. And he thought that was Daniela influencing her mom, Gloria, because Gloria was the main writer for the show and that she was trying to get him cut out so that she could receive more screen time. And so he's like, oh, my gosh, they're doing this on purpose. And he starts to get really mad about it. On December 28th, 1992, when Daniela was 22 years old, she was ambushed by Guillerme and his wife, Paula Noega and Paula was jealous of the love scenes that she saw in the telenovela that involved her husband and Daniela. So that's her motivation. So together they stabbed Daniela 18 times in the neck, heart and lungs. And the couple were brought to trial after the murder and were sentenced to 19 years in jail. And they were released after serving six years only. And this outraged Diana, Diana, uh, Daniela's mom, Gloria, and her husband, Raul, and the public in general are just pissed. And together, they're able to pass the first popular bill to become a law in the history of Brazil. And I tried to look up what the actual bill was. It's law 8.930-1994. But since they speak Portuguese in Brazil and I don't speak Portuguese, I could not find it. <laughs> So Gloria and Raul were not done with Guillerme and Paula. They also sued them in court for what would be about a half a million dollars. And on top of that, the murder couple was also required to pay burial and funeral expenses for Daniela. And they also had to pay for the procedural costs that were created by Daniela's death and 10% of Gloria and Raul's attorney fees. Now, at this point, they're not doing it for money, but to basically continuously punish that couple, which actually are now divorced. Wow. Yeah. So that was nuts. And I feel bad for that young girl. She did so much in 22 years, though. Right. Yeah. Now you tell me yours. All right. This is going to start July 1972. Oh, the 70s were a good time. Yep. Yeah. Linda and Claudia were from Chicago. They were in Kalamazoo, Michigan, when they stopped at a gas station. Okay. The two men working at the gas station, Danny Rines and Brent Cost 
doctor. They grab the girls, threatening them with a knife. So these are dudes that are at that are at the gas station. They're working at the gas station, and they're they're robbing the girls that show up to pump gas. Right. You the girls the come in. Around, you pump the gas station. You rob them. <laughs> right. Jesus. Well, they do more than just rob them. Uh oh. They they grab the girls. They threaten to kill them with knives. Okay. They took turns raping them. <gasps> then they took them, or they took a rope. They choked them. Oh, my God. Their bodies were wrapped in a blanket. They put them in their car. They drove the car to Galsburg. And in a wooded area, the two men left the car and tried to light it on fire, but it wouldn't light on fire. Oh, my God. Yeah. So their bodies, Claudia and Linda, were found about three weeks later. Oh, my God. Why the so police, long? Right. Well, I don't know. I don't even know. I've never been to Galesburg, okay. but maybe it's remote. Okay, good call. A lot of woods or something. Yep. The police had a suspicion it was Danny and Brent, but didn't have enough evidence. Okay. Not really sure how they suspected them. Couldn't right. figure that out. Okay. About about a month later, another body was found, Pamela Ferno, age 18. Okay. The men, the men picked her up when she was hitchhiking, took turns raping her, put a plastic bag over her head, and then dumped her in the woods. Oh, man. They had also picked up Patricia Hawk, age 28, who was hitchhiking and rape, they raped, murdered, and dumped her body also. Oh, my God. These guys are serial fucking killers. Right. When the police caught the two men and had enough evidence, police offered Brent a bargain if he testified against Danny in the death. Brent would be charged with one count of second-degree murder. What? Yeah, oh, it was the 70s, so I guess it was a different time. Now, Brent, he's age 77, having served the last 48 years in prison. Oh, my God. He's actually up for, for parole. The 3 WWMT News has a detailed news article about the parole hearing. You can also read all the official court documents. They have them like scanned right into the news article. Wow. And he, he talks about how he felt he had to do it because Danny would kill him if he didn't. Okay. And so he goes on about how he served his time and, you know, he's remorseful. And currently in December, 2020, the parole board was reviewing it to see if, he should be set free. So if he's set free, then both of them got out, right? No. No. This is just for Brent. Just Brent. Okay. Yep. The other Danny, he got uh life in prison. Oh, okay. Nope. Jesus. And so you know it's interesting as I started to try to look because I'm the opposite 
like you read these stories in the 70s you get a lot more of the hitchhiker was picked up and murdered uh-huh but i'm like the opposite when i see a hitchhiker i'm like they're gonna murder me i'm gonna pick them up and they're gonna murder me right but and so i was trying to find stories like of hitchhikers that murder who picks them up but it's really goes the other way it's the person picking you up that's gonna murder yes and they told us all like beware the hitchhiker but it's like no beware the dude that's willing to pick you up right creep ass creeping motherfucker yeah (laughs) so well i have i have this on our watch list because i'm just interested if the parole board is gonna let this guy out when come on you did these things. Oh, you want to know? Four women that we know of. Right. You killed four women and raped them repeatedly. Did you rape them because he was afraid you were afraid that he was going to murder you? I don't think so. I think you raped them because you wanted to. Right. The one thing I was going to look is, you know, for last week, since it was New Year's, I was like, let me do Scott Kologi. That's the kid that I did um, when we first started who had killed his parents and his sister and a family friend on new year's mm-hmm. and he is still going through trial it's been two years but i know that they've been going through a lot of different stuff because remember at first they tried to because he was 17 they're like we want to you know have him sent through as a uh, a, a child and then they're like no we want him to face charges as an adult he ak-47 somebody or whatever <laughs> like yeah his own family like unprovoked I looked at a lot of, you know, because I still look up the Roden family massacre. Okay. And which what that was four, four to six years ago. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been four years since they were arrested. Wow. But nothing going on. Like, and I looked up the Detroit serial killer we did. Everything's on hold because of COVID. Oh, I believe it. These people are going to be sitting in there a long time. Well, some of them, yay. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Not that I'm sad about it. Yay. <laughs> no, but you can't. There's no, yeah, there's just no, no follow-up. Oh, that is hard. We, I think we're going to have to wait another year to do any follow-ups. At least. Well, this, the Kologi one happened, I think, going into 2018. And I was like, this kid, ugh. Wrap it up, fellas. <laughs> oh I did. I did come across. Remember the story? Does everyone remember the story that Wendell uh, Pope Joy? He, you know, didn't get along with his neighbor. He thought she was a nuisance, and he killed her when she was. Um, she was snow blowing her oh, driveway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, burnt her up in his backyard yes. and all that, or some, or I think he burnt her clothes and buried her in his backyard. Yeah, he did. Um, he took his case case to the court of appeals, claiming it was a crime of passion. Fuck him. And they disagreed with his argument um, that the jury should have been able to consider manslaughter. He lost that case. I did see that the other day. Okay. Like, I've had to sit. Um, I don't think so. Because I was like, oh, like, look, it's a new year. Let me follow up on those people from, you know, at least last year or the year before. And it's like, nah, everybody's still going through it. 
I guess if you mur- murder multiple people, that sometimes that takes a long time. <laughs> right. Yes. All right, Jen, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.